Welcome to the Coaching DNA Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Wyckoff. I'm also the founder of Kingdom Coaching, my consulting business in which I coach leaders. My guest this week is Dave Shondell. Dave is the volleyball coach at Purdue University. During part one of my conversation with Dave, we discussed the coaching tree that his father produced, how to handle playing time issues, their game preparation process, and much, much more. Dave is considered one of the best coaches in the country, and I think you'll really learn a ton from our conversation. So without further ado, my conversation with Dave Shondell. Dave, thanks for taking time this afternoon. Uh, would love to hear you walk us through your journey from high school to present day. Yeah, I grew up in Muncie, Indiana. Uh, my father was the men's volleyball coach at Ball State University and uh, was a professor of physical education there. And uh, I went to Muncie Northside High School, which was a school that had just kind of started when I, I got into high school uh, age. And then it didn't last very long because Muncie's population decreased dramatically when a lot of the auto industry uh, went south. Um, so it's no longer there, but uh, it was a great school. It was uh, a lot of, uh, you know, people from the, obviously the neighborhood that I grew up in and a lot of Ball State people, a lot of uh, doctors and lawyers and and uh, those type of people's um, kids that, um, you know, were successful in life and had reason to, uh, to go to school and, and try to get something out of it. Um, but it was a great school, great success in athletics there. Um, I played uh, football, basketball, baseball, and then we had a club volleyball team. Stopped playing football after my uh, second year just to focus more on basketball. And uh, that was kind of – it was Indiana, you know, so that's kind of a big thing in our state. And we had uh, – my junior year, we were ranked number one in the country uh, at one point in time in basketball and um, had a lot of a lot of players go on and play Division One sports. My my junior year, we had 13 players on uh, my basketball team that played Division One athletics, went on to play Division One. So it was a pretty talented group uh, that particular year. Um, I kind of wanted to play basketball or baseball in college, but um, didn't get the kind of opportunities that I was looking for. And um, so I went to Ball State and played volleyball for my dad. Uh, Ball State was one of the first two um, Division I programs to sponsor men's volleyball. Ball State and UCLA were the two, two first. So uh, it has a long history uh, in the sport of men's volleyball. And so, so I played there uh, for my father. And I uh, had, had a, a great time there. Um, I got married when I was a junior in, in college. And so my, my final year, because of some ankle injuries that I had, some really serious ankle injuries, and because I was married and had a lot of things going on, I did not play uh, my senior year. Um, I have an older brother and a younger brother and an older sister. Uh, my older brother um, is the most successful coach in the history of Indiana high school sports. He was, um, we coached basketball, baseball, and volleyball at Muncie Burroughs High School, but uh, he was kind of uh, a great role model for me. And so he was three years older than I was. He also played volleyball at Ball State. My younger brother played volleyball at Ball State. Mm -hmm. So we kind of followed that track. Uh, but my brother, Steve, just was a, a great role model. And uh, he built a program at, at Burroughs High School that was, at one point in time, was the most successful program in the country. And then I went uh, to a smaller school out of high school, uh, called Daleville. And um, it was a program that had no success in the sport of volleyball. And while I was there, I coached um, volleyball, was the assistant basketball coach. I coached track. Later, I coached baseball there as well. 
I also coached softball at a different school. So I was, was pretty active in coaching, uh, not to mention coaching club volleyball, which was a big thing uh, in our area as well. But mostly because of my brother and my dad had so much fun and, and made the, the job look so enjoyable to be coaching and teaching. Uh, I, I followed that track and started out as an elementary PE teacher uh, at Daleville. But uh, the beautiful thing I think that helped my coaching background was because my dad was on the staff at Ball State, both as a physical education teacher, but a, a coach. I was surrounded by those people, not just coaches, but teachers. And education was was what it was all about. And so I didn't go a day. My mom was also a teacher. So I grew up you know, around really good uh, educators who understood that their role in life was to to help people become better and be successful. And so I, I really, when I look back at the success that my brothers and I have had, uh, and a lot of people that came out of Ball State, it was because it was a, a teacher's college first, and we were just surrounded by tremendous coaches all the time that that really understood, uh, you know, what the purpose was. Um, but I went to Daleville first, and I was there for eight years, and got a chance to coach. Like I mentioned, a variety of sports. And then after eight years, I had the opportunity to come back to Muncie, which was really not very far, uh, and take a job at Muncie Central High School. And for those that may not know, Muncie Central and Movie Hoosiers, which I hope most of you have watched, um, the two schools that were in the movie were called Hickory and South Bend Central. But the, the real story was it was it was uh, Milan and Muncie Central were the two schools that were in that story. Muncie Central was the team that had all the great athletes that got upset by Bobby Plump and company in that particular uh, game. So I went to Muncie Central and um, was able to build a program there. Again, they had not been successful before I had gotten there. I think the year before they were 0-21 that I took over. But that was at the same time that my alma mater, Muncie Northside, was closed so it fed into Muncie Central. So I knew that there was a light at the end of the tunnel, that there were some players that had played club volleyball that would go into that school and, and we'd have a chance to build something. And fortunately, we did. Um, we ended up in my 13 years at Muncie Central. We won uh, four state championships. We went to the final four a couple of other times and uh, really built, built something special there. We were the only public school to be ranked in the, the national top 25 for 10 years in a row. Um, so I felt like we really found a way to, to, to build success. We had parents involved. We had the entire community involved, got the administration behind us. And uh, it, it was a great run there. And in 2002, we won the state championship. And uh, I woke up one morning and saw in the newspaper that uh, Purdue had um, released their head coach, um, a good guy named Jeff Halsmeyer, who had been there for four years. But um, they had not won at the level that Purdue wanted to win. So I looked at that and I thought, okay, that that's something I've always wanted to do. And um, matter of fact, four years before that, I'd looked into it, but I didn't think it was the right time. We just had so much talent at, at our high school. I didn't want to move at that time. I didn't feel comfortable moving, um, looking for another job. But this job opened and, uh, and I called and um, the administration said, well, our associate athletic director, Roger Blaylock, will be at the final four in new Orleans. And I was already, already planning on going to the convention that's, uh, in, you know, goes along with the final four. And they set up a meeting with me and, uh, met with Roger Blaylock. And the first thing he told me was that, uh, you're the first guy that came to mind when, uh, the job opened up. And I thought, well, that's odd because I'm a high school coach 
and this is a big 10 institution. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they were familiar with the name. My, obviously my dad's in the world hall of fame. I mean, he had incredible success at ball state. He's a pioneer of our sport. My brother, Steve has won more state championships than anybody in, in Indiana high school sports. And then I was kind of just following their footsteps, but I, I think I was somebody that was a little bit more, um, packaged for maybe the college game as far as, uh, personality wise and, um, assertiveness and ability to communicate with people. And I had all these club and high school coaches that I've known for 25, 30 years. And I felt like given the opportunity, we could, we could recruit well to Purdue university. So long story short, after an interview process, um, Morgan Burke, the athletics director at uh, Purdue called me on the phone and said, we want you to be our fourth head coach in the history of uh, Purdue volleyball. And, uh, it was the greatest day of my life. It was mm. like, you gotta be kidding me. And I mean, I thought I had a shot at it and I was feeling good about it, but you never know until you get it. Yeah. And so funny story is Morgan Burke says, well, you know, when can you be here? And I said, I'll be there tomorrow. And he laughs. He said, no, when, when can you really be here? I said, I'll be there tomorrow. I said, you, we got a lot of work to do. And, uh, uh, my brother, John, uh, who was coaching another high school at that point in time, he was an all American at ball state. He had called me when the news broke that the job was going to be open. And he said, we're going to get that job. And I, you know, I acted like I didn't know what he was talking about, but uh, he said, we're going to get that job at Purdue. And I said, okay. And uh, so we went after it and had a lot of support and, and got the job. And then um, in our first year, we, we were able to change attitudes and um, get people to buy into what we were doing. And fortunately there were a lot of Indiana players that were there that were familiar with, you know, our style and our success and, uh, trusted us to that we were going to do a lot of the right things um, to, to get better, and we had a, had pretty good success that first year. Not we didn't make the NCAA tournament, but we opened some eyes up. Uh, the first weekend of Big Ten play, uh, we knocked off um, Minnesota, who went to the Final Four that year. Uh, next weekend, we beat Michigan State, who'd been in the top twenty-five for years. So I, I think that we let people know that it was going to be a little bit different um, operation uh, at Purdue. And the second year at Purdue. Um, and they hadn't been to the NCAA tournament in 15 years, but our second year, um, we had, had, had done pretty well and we got down to the final weekend and we were playing Wisconsin and, um, Northwestern. And I felt like if we could win one of these, okay, win one of these, we got a chance to get into the, the tournament. We got a chance to get in the NCAA tournament and we played uh, Wisconsin first, who was ranked in the top 15 and we beat them. So I'm thinking we're in. Next night, we played Northwestern, who wasn't as good as we were, and got beat in the, in the fifth set by two points. And now I'm thinking, we just blew our chance. So yeah. following Sunday is when they had the draw, and they get down. They do four sub-regionals uh, sub at a time with four teams. And they get down. They've got 60 teams already picked. We're not picked. And they go. And, and our final group at Colorado State, the Rams will be playing Purdue University. Mm. And, uh, I just fell out of my chair. It was just, it was just unbelievable. So, um, and we went out to Colorado state and they were ranked ninth in the country and people all across the, the internet were thinking, well, Purdue shouldn't be in this tournament. Purdue shouldn't even, you know, have a chance. And we go out and they're ranked ninth in the country. We play them at their place and we beat them in five sets. So, um, it was a pretty exciting start to the NCAA tournament for us. We lost to Hawaii that year, uh, who was undefeated the next round. So, um, no shame really in that. Mm. Uh, but since then we've continued to compete at a really high level and, 
Um, uh, you know, it's to be 21 years at one place is quite an accomplishment. And um, it, it's, you know, it's for me, there was never anywhere else I would go. I mean, I'm from Indiana. I'm at Purdue. We're in the Big Ten. The Big Ten's the best volleyball conference in the country. Where else are you going to go? So I knew I was I was set for life. If I could just um, continue to find ways to to find great players and, and win matches. In 2003, was Big Ten the best conference in volleyball then? No, at that point in time, it was not. The Pac-12, uh, Pac maybe it's Pac-10 back then. But you know, with UCLA and USC and Stanford, uh, those teams were were pretty dominant at the time, and we were not. The, the, the tide changed, I think, a lot with the Big Ten network. I think the Big Ten network was such a positive influence for uh, Big Ten teams. And, um, you know, high school kids were able to sit around all the time and, and watch, uh, you know, Big Ten volleyball or whatever sport it might be. And uh, I'd say probably around uh, the late, maybe 2017, 2018. No, actually before that, 2010 is when it, is when it really started to turn. And, yeah. uh the Big Ten just supports their women's sports at an incredible level, and certainly in volleyball they do. We we out, outdraw any other women's sport by far in the Big Ten. Yeah, well, it seems like just nationally volleyball is gaining like massive oh, yeah. momentum right now. It is. It, it's the most exciting time in the world. You know, I talked about my dad, who's in the in the Hall of Fame, and he was a pioneer in the sport, mm. and he was he was a good coach. But more importantly, he wanted to build volleyball. He just loved the sport and thought if we could just get people's attention. They're going to love the game. And of course he was in on the, on the men's and boys side, but right now boys volleyball is the fastest growing sport in the country. Mm. And women's volleyball is the largest team sport in the country. And now you look at the crowds that we're getting, and now we got, we're going to have three professional volleyball leagues in our country. You know, for years, we couldn't have one. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, we're going to have three out there. We three can sustain. I don't think there's any way you can do that. Uh, but there's uh, three organizations that are trying, and uh, the probably the one that has the best chance started their um, league uh, two nights ago with a match in Omaha, and uh, they had twelve thousand people there for that one. And then last night in Grand Rapids, they had I think eight thousand people for for wow. that match. So it's it is it's it's the most exciting time ever for the sport of volleyball. Yeah, that's awesome. Describe your dad as a coach. Yeah, he was a teacher. Um, you know, when he started and, and really for probably from program started back in about 1962. And uh, there are more volleyball coaches at the division one level that went to Ball State than any other school. Mm. I mean, it's just been a part of the fact is a teacher school. So people went there to become educators. Um, but he was all about promoting the sport. And uh, that's why I said, well, if, if you would look at, at what's happening right now, he passed away two years ago uh, mm. during the COVID. Uh, he got he had pneumonia and he had some other things that went along with that, and he couldn't quite persevere. But he was 93 years old, so he had a he had a phenomenal life. But he, he would have just he probably is watching down with a big smile on his face right now, seeing this sport explode the way that it is, because that was his number one goal was just to to generate uh, you know more popularity and get people to understand the game and. And he worked really hard at making sure everybody understood how the game was played. Uh, but but he wasn't he wasn't somebody that got real excited. You know, now you see coaches that can't sit down. He never got up. He he sat down with his legs crossed most of the time. Now he did have some intensity. And uh, when you're a son, you you know you see that intensity a little bit more than some people might, um, especially if you're the son that gets in the most trouble. But um, 
he was uh, he was he was calm, but he was he was a teacher. He had to get kids out of PE class to to join the team. That's hmm. how that's how he found some of his best athletes. Was you know he taught PE and he taught a couple different classes, but he would he would encourage people the best students he had in class to play. He'd sit around on the last day of basketball um, tryouts at Ball State and guys who didn't make the team. He'd encourage them to come play volleyball. So, you know, he was somebody that had to train and teach and encourage and promote. Probably the most positive man anybody would ever know. Just a just a great human being. Well, I mean, it, it's interesting just thinking about his lineage. Um, guessing he made massive impact on on uh, obviously players, but I think if I counted right, you're to your brothers is your sister a coach as well well my my sister coached a little bit but she doesn't coach now i've got i've got uh a daughter that coaches i've got a son that's at butler coaching yeah uh, head coach at butler i've got uh, a niece that you know runs a, a major club here in, in the state of indiana so yeah there's there's a lot of people in the family still in, engaged in the sport yeah i'm getting you I'm, I'm guessing your dad's pretty proud of the lineage that has has come from from teachers or coaches that's cool yeah, you know, one of the great things is, and now, you know, I'm a father, I've got four kids and 10 grandkids, um, but he would be at every one of our, our matches, my brothers, myself, mm. when we were coaching, um, he'd find a way to get there and, and watch those matches, you know, no matter how busy he might've been. So um, more than being a great coach, he was, he was an incredible father. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Describe yourself as a, uh, as a coach, as a leader, what are your strengths? Well, I'm a relationships person and, um, you know, clearly we're in a world right now where that has become even more and more important with mm -hmm. the ability for, for people to, to leave at a drop of a hat. Um, we've had less players leave Purdue in the sport of volleyball than any other school in the big 10. I think that's more of a credit to our university than it is to necessarily our staff. Um, but I, I think it's, it's all about being fair and, and doing the right thing. Um, with your athletes and, and have an open communication with them. It, it's never easy. I mean, when, you know, when you're recruiting some of the best players in the country, you know, you, you have to encourage them with motivation for what their role may be when they get here, but not everybody's going to play. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, every week is, is a different week in, in our program. And obviously there are people that, you know, are going to play. There's no way certain people aren't going to be in the lineup. But everybody's got an opportunity. But you try to help them understand their role. I learned an awful lot. Annie Drews, who played for us at Purdue, uh, is on the USA national team. And when the USA women won the gold for the first time in the most recent Olympics, Karch Karai um, did an incredible job of helping players understand what their roles would be. So when they went to that Olympic uh, Olympics in like, where were where were they in China? Where were they? last Olympics. I can't remember where they were. Yeah, at, I don't but, remember. Um, she wasn't, she wasn't a starter. She had been a starter for about six years with, with the national team. And now all of a sudden Jordan Thompson, a younger kid had, had beat her out and Jordan Thompson was having the, the Olympics of her lifetime. But in the last, um, pool play match, she rolls her ankle and she's out and Annie Drews has to come in and Annie Drews, um, knew that her role was to be a game changer that there was going to be an opportunity where she was going to have to come in in a critical situation and be able to play because that was how coach had, uh, coach um, Karch Karai had prepared her. And so that's exactly what she did. She came in and had an unbelievable three or four matches. She ended up being, I think, the most valuable player for uh, the USA team. Mm. Just put on a show 
but it was all because she was prepared by her coaching staff on what her role was going to be. And then she was interviewed so many times um, um, after the Olympics, after those matches. And, and, and she made it really clear. That was why she, she was so well prepared for that opportunity was because um, Karch and the, the sports psychologist from that that team had done a great job of all, making sure all their players knew what their role was going to be, and they all accepted that. So I learned a lot from that. Now, I, I don't think that works with everybody. I don't think everybody's just going to be happy knowing that they're going to be a game changer. Um, you know, I watch college basketball all the time, and you can tell there's a lot of people that aren't very happy with a role of being a game changer, okay? And so um, that was a unique scenario, but I, I just think you have to have that open communication, uh, you know, with your athletes and your door has to always be open for them to come in and talk to you about that. But I think before they come to you, you need to see what the issue is. You, you better smell that and you need to, I think, address it and talk to them first. Um, you know, we, we have a, a meeting room right adjacent to our uh, playing facility and I like to meet with our team before every practice. Uh, you know, some people like to go to the chalkboard in their gym and do a lot of that work. I like to do it in our video room where I, I think it's a little bit better environment. And we try to, you know, talk about the value of team all the time and that we understand that not everybody is going to uh, be happy with their role right now, but, you know, how, how are we going to achieve our goals if we don't have everybody on, everybody on the same page? And so, but I think I'm a relationships person first. I, I coach with, I think, a lot of passion. Um, I, I, you know, in our league, if you don't compete, you're going to get buried. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you better recruit competitors. Everybody on your staff better be high high level competitors. Your fans better be high level competitors, because it's it's that kind of a league where there's a small margin for error, and you know you have to go out and and, and really be prepared to play and. The other thing I think that we do at Purdue really well is prepare for opponents. Um, we probably pour more time into that than most teams do. Sometimes I, I, I try not to over-prepare because I think that when you're so prepared to start a match, sometimes you're not prepared to finish a match because mm. you know you, you're, everybody's so geared up. This is what this team is going to do. And then good teams make adjustments. And then all of a sudden you're sitting there, well, they, they're not doing this anymore like the coach said they were going to do. So we try to make sure that we're a player-led team. I think that's another thing that that I think has been important for us is that yeah, our coaches are going to do our job and we're going to work as hard as we can to to train and prepare and and help our athletes. But at the end of the day, players win. And, um, you know, we had a lot of success last year because I thought we were the, the toughest team in the league. We had some really tough characters. And fortunately, a lot of them are very young. And so they're going to be here for a while. But I thought that that in, in, in college sports, especially for me, I don't think if it matters if it's men or women, but putting great competitors on the floor has become more important than ever. Yeah, love that. The importance, whether it's male or female, of, of building connection. Yeah, and, and we, try to, we try to meet with our players once every two weeks. Some of our staff, we, we're, we assign each semester changes, but we've, we've got people lined up. And so every couple of weeks, we have a conversation with those Love players. Well, I had a situation one time, a player walked in and said they were leaving. And it just floored me. I just, I, it just totally shocked me that this person wasn't, wasn't happy or wasn't satisfied. What She was playing, but she, it just wasn't at the right place for her. And yet, no one on our staff saw it coming. Yeah. And so at that point in time, I, we just decided we're, we're going to have, now it still can happen, 
that same thing can still happen because players don't always tell you everything that's going on in their life sure. and, and what they're thinking and what you know what, what's going on. But uh, it has helped us, and I think players appreciate that. Uh, and then all of a sudden, when you do have a question about somebody, you go to who's been meeting with them and say, "Is there something going on here that, that I need to be aware of?" So yeah. we're trying to keep those communication lines open. Totally. Hey, I'd love for you to maybe dive into a little bit of some of the things you do to try to mitigate the playing time issue. Because to your point, I mean, uh, yeah, as long as as long as they only let a certain amount of people on the floor, there's going to be playing time issues. And again, to your point, this isn't the Olympics where it might be easier to have like a pretty good can-do attitude for a couple months because it's the Olympics. Anyway. I'd love for you to maybe just yeah. dive in a little bit. What do you try to do to 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 help that whole situation out? Yeah, that's, you know, we had an issue this year because our non-conference schedule was so strong that nobody got a chance to play just because they deserved to play. Yeah. You know, we, we everybody we played in non-conference, it was a close match. I, I think we ended up maybe going eight and three or, um, eight, maybe something like that. I, I think it was close to that eight and three. Um, but we won some close matches and we beat, we beat, uh, I think we beat Kansas in, in five. We beat Marquette in five. We beat somebody else in five. We lost about two matches in five. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, at the end, end of the year, our, our schedule was the sixth toughest in the country overall. And it was kind of what I had to do because I thought we had a chance in, in volleyball, if you won the top 16 seeds, you host a sub regional. So yep. you got three teams coming to your place. If you won the top four seeds, you've host a regional round. Mm. So you can host the first four matches if you're one of the top four seeds. And I thought, you know, we had an outside chance of doing that. So I wanted to make sure that um, we scheduled tough enough. At the end of the day, we were about 11th overall with the seed. So we, we didn't do well enough, but um, the schedule was tough, but I, those are just all individual conversations you have with players, you know, every day in practice. You know, when we start our practices um, each day, I don't want to be involved in the in initial drills. You know, maybe they're just, you know, warm-up drills or ball control drills or whatever it might be. I'm, I'm going to have other people running those drills so I can get around the gym each day. And if there's a couple, three people I think I need to check in with, I can go over and have that conversation with them and I'm not hitting balls somewhere on one drill where I can't even talk to anybody. Okay. So the way we set our practices up, I like to have that kind of flexibility um, or even when they're, they're warming up, they're doing their stretching and, and, and running just to kind of warm up. I like to go around and at least high five everybody that's there. And if there's somebody that, um, you know, isn't playing or had a bad match or we took out a match um, early one, one particular a time that I want to make sure they understand where I am. I use texting a lot. And I, I know that there's a lot of people that don't think people should be texting uh, student athletes. Um, you know, but I think when you're 66 years old, I think that, you know, people understand that you're more of a grandpa than you are anything else. But um, I do a lot of texting. You know, uh, if somebody has a great practice, I, I, I text them and let them know what what a great job you did. You know, you're doing this really, really well. If they struggled or there was some things to issue, I, I, you know, I don't talk about all the things that didn't do well. I say, hey, you know, tomorrow's a new day. I said, you're playing great. I said, I have great, great expectations for you this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, it, you know, communication. It's just all about having real communication with those players. We, we've got a six six kid 
out of Pennsylvania that's a freak athlete. Redshirted two years ago as a freshman, was our backup middle. This year, hardly ever played. I mean, hardly ever played. She works her tail off every day. She's smart. She gets it. Big time personality. She's going to be an All-American one day. Hardly played. Mm. Uh, and she didn't, and, and, and she wasn't an attitude. She's got a great attitude. But still, you never know. So you've got to make sure that person understands what you think about them. And then you have to understand this is why we can't really make adjustments. In volleyball, it's such a chemistry game and a momentum sport. And, you know, you, that, and the team knows. We're, I said, we're not, we're not going to make changes at the end of matches if we're winning just to get people on the floor. Okay? It's, we want to beat people as fast as we can and get it over with. Because if you start trying to stretch that out, um, and it's not the players that come into a game when they, when you make substitutions that screw things up, it's everyone else just takes a deep breath and thinks, oh, okay, this, this one's over. We're making subs. Same thing in basketball. When you watch a basketball team play, luckily they're playing on a clock. We don't use the clock. Okay. We, we got to score so many points before the, the match is over. Um, but I, you know, I, I guess I'm a huge basketball fan. I watch our guys and when Matt Painter, let, you know, lets that, that second or third unit on the floor. It's not, it's not quite as good. And, and sometimes, sometimes they're great. Sometimes they're not. And so uh, I, I just try to explain to our team why we do things the way that we do. And at some point in time, hopefully they'll be on the other side of this ledger and, and they'll recognize that, you know, there's a reason why they have to stay on the floor and, and get things done and that we want to just bury people as fast as we can and not, um, not give anybody an opportunity to come back and beat us. Yeah. I'd love to dive into preparation. So uh, coaching staff, you guys, I'm guessing film, uh, scouting reports, getting those all prepared. I'd be really curious, what is it like, what do your players get? I get you guys are, are staying up late, probably working hard on those. Yeah. What does the players get? What does that look like? You know, basketball teams will do, sometimes they'll do in the, in the locker room, uh, talk about, and then they might go and do a walkthrough, you know, hey, this guy's going to, you know, what do you, what's it look like for your players? What do you give them as you prepare for a match? Yeah, when we, we get ready for a week, and, and our weeks are different. When I first came to the Big Ten, we were playing Friday and Saturday consistently. So you had very little time to get ready for your second match. You might be on the road. You might be playing at Michigan on a Friday. You get in a bus and go to Michigan State, and you got a short amount of time to try to get your team prepared for the next one. Fortunately, more often now than not, you have at least a day um, to, to try to prepare for your next opponent. But um, usually on Monday, uh, to start the week, that's an opportunity for us to get people in the gym that haven't played a lot and spend more time with them. Volleyball is a sport where there's a lot of jumping. And so, you know, we have certain people that just don't even practice on Mondays. They might they might do some non-jumping activities, but it's really important that uh, we take advantage of that time to work with players that haven't, haven't been on the gym a lot and, and use that day to rest when we can. Uh, Tuesday is when we actually start um, preparation. And, um, uh, we'll have, uh, I have a, a coach who's designed specifically to prepare, uh, the report. I mean, it's a report. He's an analytics guy. Okay. And he's great with, with, with technology. And so every one of our players has an iPad that the school provides for them. And so that will be sent to them ahead of time before we even meet, they'll have that information. And, um, and then we'll meet at, depends on who we're playing and what day we're playing. But a lot of times, let's say we meet on a Tuesday before practice, we'll go over um, the personnel. First thing is, well, this, this is the team we're going to play. These are their individual players. 
And it, well, with volleyball, mostly what you're going to look at first is they're attacking. This is what their two left side hitters look like. Okay. It's if you're playing um, Nebraska, um, Harper Murray, who was the really good freshman they had, you're going to look at her first. Okay. And you're going to just watch all of her swings over and over and over. Mm-hmm. You'll see her swing maybe. She's had 55, if she had 30 attacks, you're going to watch all 30 of those attacks and you start helping your players understand this is where she likes to go with the ball. Okay. This is her favorite shot. It's like, it's like anything else, you know, football players, they like to run certain routes, whatever else, but we know that, that there are strengths for each attacker. And we don't necessarily say what shot we're going to take away yet from them, from a blocking standpoint, but we want them to, to see those players. And then after we show every individual and their tendencies, as far as attacking, then we'll get into, there's six re- reception patterns, there's six rotations in the sport of volleyball. Mm-hmm. So every one of those rotations is different. There's going to be different people passing. There's going to be different people attacking. Okay. And so you will, will break all those down and you'll run through each one of those. They, the last two matches or three matches they played, you'll run through what they're doing. What, what's the left, is a left side hitter running a fast tempo set or a slow tempo set? Is the middle, does she like to run? We call a B set, which is maybe five feet away from the setter, or does she run right to the setter? And then who do they like to get the ball to in these rotations? So, I mean, it's not hard for anybody, even the best teams in the country have obvious tendencies right. that they like to do. Okay. Same thing with basketball. If, if when, when Purdue comes down the floor, Zach Eadie's getting a touch. You know, he's getting a touch every time. Yeah. Okay. You know, now that we run a pretty good offense, like which you don't see a lot in college basketball anymore. But anyway, you see the same thing in volleyball. You're going to know that this is what they're trying to do here. And defensively, there's a lot of different systems you can play. Some people run basically a read read defense where everybody starts the same place. They don't do anything until the ball's set, and then they react, and they block, and they defend. Where our system is, we'll do that some, but if we're playing teams that have got great players, if we don't release block a lot, which is our middle blockers are going to not wait until the ball's set, they're going to they're gonna get out earlier to make sure that they can set up a better block and help our right side players block. So we're already trying to put in place what our, what our system is going to be and how we're going to defend this particular team on that night. Now that's all we'll look at on film that first day is each individual attacker and their serve receive. And then we'll go onto the floor and we will do some, spend some time defending their attackers. We, we have the good fortune of having a lot of practice players, guy, men practice players that come in off our club team. Mm-hmm. And so they can just hit and hit and hit and hit. And they'll simulate these players that we're going to see. And we'll start figuring out how we're going to block these two outside hitters. This is how we're going to block these two middles. This is how we're going to block their right side player. And then we'll have them get into serve receive during that practice. And we'll start running their offense on that side of the net. So it's not a whole lot different than football or, or anything else. The next day we come in, we'll start looking at their servers because serving is still the most important part of the game. And, it's it seemed like a simple skill, but it, it's 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 not. And passing serve, passing the opponent's serve is what allows you to have a successful offense. So if if I'm not if our people can't pass the ball off the serve to our setter at the in the target area where she can set all of her hitters, then we're going to be easy to defend. Hmm. And you know it comes in cycles. Sometimes you have good passing teams, and sometimes you don't. Uh, last year we had a good passing team, and so we were able to run our offense pretty well, but it helps when you know the servers 
Is it a jump? Is it a jump topspin server? Is it a jump float server? Do they serve short? Do they serve deep? Do they serve mid zone? A lot of servers have tendencies where they serve the same area of the court. That allows you to move your your serve receive passers in certain areas. So that that helps you. So that's what you do the next day, and then you go back out and kind of continue continue with what you've been doing. Then on Thursday you might review it. Then you play on Friday. So they're getting a, they're getting a ton of information stretched out over three and a half four days. That's how we like to do it. Now, yeah. the, uh, Russ Rose, who was the most successful coach in the history of uh, women's volleyball, who's now retired, they'd wait until the last day. Hmm. And, they, and that's when they would do all their scouting in one day. And I, I just think there's too much going on. And I don't like to give them too much at one time. I, you know, I was an educator for a long time. Yeah. And I know that there's a, a certain amount of knowledge that they're going to be able to, to to put together at one time or information they can take. So I like to kind of spread it out a little bit. And then I feel like we're in pretty good shape by the time we get to the end of the week. Yeah. 